0: In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, the power, and the glory. Forever and ever. Amen. Well, good morning, everybody. Of course, I'm Vicar Doty. This is the first time I've uh, been in front of you all, so I want to thank you for letting me be here this morning. So, as you all know, Pastor is out on a, a well deserved vacation for the next couple of days, so he's asked me to fill in. Now, of course, I can, I'm not going to take over where, where his class in uh, Galatians, I believe that's what he's doing. So I'm going to kind of take us on just a quick one-day side topic. And uh, as I was thinking about this, thinking about what I should do, um, you know, I've been fascinated in this, and you can see up on the screen here, I am going to do a PowerPoint presentation. Thanks. But uh, I call this this morning, The Name. And you know, I, as I was thinking about naming it, I didn't want to call it the d- divine name or names of Jesus or names of God. It's just simply The Name. And if you're wondering... um, You know, first of all, I want to talk about this, the little symbol we see up here. I took that from a painting from a guy, Francisco Goya. He's a famous Italian artist, and he painted this painting in 1972. Now, it's a larger painting than I have here, but uh, what it does is I did focus in on this one point, and this is his painting uh, from the painting called The Adoration of the Name of God. And if you see here, and we're going to talk about this more, but there is some Hebrew written in this triangle, and this is, this is the word Yahweh, uh, which is represent, which is, um, reference to God, which I'm going to get into in, the, in the middle of the Trinity, which is, you know, the name of God within our Trinitarian view here. So I, I think that's a really cool thing, and I'll get into it more here. But again, the name, why do I call it? um the name, it's because when we talk when we talk about God in 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 his name, we see it in every different aspect of really what we're doing on a a frequent basis. And if you see here, if you recall at the beginning of every divine service that we do, what do we say? We say, In the name of the Father and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. The name. In a Lord's Prayer Little differently, just based on how we've learned to, to to memorize it in English, but Hallowed be Thy name, the name. Of course, in baptism, we hear frequently, "I baptize you what in the name of the Father and of the Son and the Holy Spirit." And the end of that rite, even in baptism, we tell after the. The bat- person that's baptized, whether they're infant or adult, our liturgy, we say, we welcome you in the name of the Lord. And then, of course, in the second commandment we have, you shall not misuse the name of God. So I think this is very fascinating, this concept of the name. And I kind of want to go over that uh, with you all a little bit today on what that means um from God to Jesus, and, and what we mean by the name. So on that, then this is the question, what is God's name? Now isn't that kind of a fascinating question? Um What is God's name? Doesn't the question reveal the answer? Well, if you're asked this to kids or whatever, what is God's name? They probably look at you funny and say, God? Or, what's the other one? What is God's name? What do they say? Jesus. Which is absolutely right, but I want to look at this a little bit different and a little more in depth. So, what we do know about God's name, God does specifically reveal His name to us in Scripture. And, unfortunately, this didn't, come out, uh, for some reason, the program in the... Uh, I'm going to walk over here just for a second. I know I'm off camera. This should have been uh, in Hebrew, but for some reason, uh, P- PowerPoint didn't recognize it. But in any event, I'm going to be covering two words today. Now, in seminary, they tell us, well, when you go to a congregation, don't impress them with your Greek and Hebrew. Well, I'm already violating the first rule. And I'm not doing it to impress you. I'm just doing it because I want to look at two terms. I want to look at one term in the Hebrew... And then one in the Greek, which is very important for the name. And there's these two words. The Hebrew is Yahweh, which means I am. And then in the Greek, we have a term called Ego Imi, which also means I am. So Hebrew, Greek, Yahweh. Ego, I mean, means the same thing, I am. Okay? I want you guys to keep that in your mind as we go through this this morning. So two important words that have to do with in the name. So, we're going to look at this, and I think it is in the Hebrew, yeah, it, it transferred over here. So in any event, that's not the important thing, the Hebrew letters. But you see, God does give us His name which is Yahweh. And we learn this in Exodus three thirteen through fifteen. And you see the Hebrew there. and in English the English letters are y, h, w, h. There's no vowels in the Hebrew, but we add the vowels to it so that we get the pronunciation Yahweh. Now we what does Yahweh, what does this mean? And we see in Exodus thirteen, three thirteen. Then Moses said to God, If I come to the people of Israel and say to them, The God of your fathers has sent me to you, and they ask me, What is his name? What shall I say to them? Now, this is very important. God said to Moses, I am who I am. And he said, So this is Say this to the people of Israel, I am has sent me to you. God also said to Moses, Say this to the people of Israel, The Lord, the God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob has sent me to you. This is my name forever. And thus I am to be remembered through all generations. So God gives us his name. It is this I am concept which is uh, comes through through the through this term Yahweh, which means I am. Okay, so we've got the Yahweh here. Now I want to, before I co- go on further, I do want to make a quick distinction then of this Yahweh, and how we see it in our English in the Bible. Okay, we can still understand when when Moses or whoever's writing about Yahweh himself, we see it differently, even in the English. And here's how we see it. I'm sure you guys may have heard this before, but you know, sometimes when we look and we're reading through Scripture, we have a little different uh, distinction between LORD, as you can see on the screen here, LORD in kind of all caps, right? And then LORD with a, with a kind of the lower case. And this is important when we're reading the Bible to, to, to understand this concept of the name. And here's an example in Psalm 16:2. We have two different uses of the Lord uh, of the word Lord in just one verse. And you see it here. I say to the Lord caps, right? L O R D caps, you are my Lord. I have no good apart from you. So What we're seeing here with these two differences is this. So when we see the Lord with the all caps, this is actually a direct translation from the Hebrew, which is the I am language that I talked about earlier. The Yahweh. So anytime that the the Lord is capitalized in in the Old Testament, it's a direct reference to I am Yahweh. This is God's true name, who He is. But when we see the lowercase, we still refer to God as the lowercase Lord in certain in- instances, because that is actually His title. So He's Lord in both His name, Lord Yahweh, and then also Lord, lowercase, in His title, which actually the translation when we it's used in the lowercase is... Um, uh, let me move on to this slide. Again, uppercase Lord, the Hebrew name Yahweh. It's not usually translated as a verb, I am, which I am as a verb, but it's a title, Lord. And now I was speaking about the lowercase Lord, which we still refer to God in this lower, because that's his title. We, when the Hebrew word for lowercase Lord, i.e., head of house, master, King is translated it comes into English as this lowercase Lord now the only difference is is that when it's a lowercase it's referring to a different Hebrew term and you guys may have heard that before it's the term Adonai so that's another name for God his two Hebrew names Yahweh is who he is I am Adonai is his job is his title Lord like master. King, so we've got the two differences there. Any questions on that so far? So we've learned two Hebrew terms now: Yahweh the I Am, and Adonai, which is the lowercase Lord. So now, when you're going through your Bible and you see the difference, uh, you you know. And in fact, we go back to this uh, here Psalm. now that makes more sense. I say to the Lord, I say to Yahweh, I am, you are my Lord, Adonai, you are my king, you are my master. So you can see how the words can play and still be in the same sentence, but they do have different meanings. They're two references to our Lord. Okay next question is, is, then, we've learned about Yahweh, I Am. But why? Why does God reveal Himself in this way? What purpose did God reveal His name to us? Why? Well, I'm taking this now out of the uh, portion of the small catechism under the second commandment, where uh, it's it's written, and we see it here under A, God gave His name to us so that we might know who created and redeemed us. And we see this here in these scripture passages, Psalm 9, 16. The Lord, capital Lord, has made Himself known. He has executed judgment. The wicked are snared in the work of their own hands. And again, we see in Isaiah here regarding this God revealing Himself to To show that He created and redeemed us. Isaiah 44. Thus says the Lord. Lowercase. Thus says Adonai. The Master. The King. Your Redeemer. Who formed you in the womb. You guys heard this before? I am the Lord. Capital Lord. I am Yahweh. Who made all things. Who alone stretched out the heavens. Who spread out the earth by Myself. Another reason. Of course, we've heard this text uh, is very relevant today in terms of um, the issues going on um, with the murder of children and abortion. The Lord who formed you in the womb. Exodus 20 here we also see, I am the Lord, your God, capital Lord, I'm, I am your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. So God, first of all, gives us his name to show us who created and redeemed us? Okay, now I want to take a little interesting side note on this idea of name. I just we just talked about creation here, and uh, if you could, if you have a Bible, let's look real quick at the first the first uh, verse in all of Scripture, talking about the name. We're all aware of this. Genesis one one. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Now, I just talked about this idea of Lord, where we have all uppercase Lord, and then we have lowercase Lord. But now, you're looking at this and say, well, I don't see that here. And we see all over right at the very first. It doesn't say Lord, lowercase, uppercase, or lowercase, but it says God. So, what's going on here? This is a different use of um, God's name in the Hebrew. It's not Lord, Yahweh. It's not Adonai. But God here is coming, in this sense, coming from a Hebrew term called Elohim. It's a different way uh, that Moses chose to write about God. But this is a fantastic to significant point about in this first sentence is when you look at the grammar and the history of this term Elohim, it is actually a plural noun. It's a plural noun right in the beginning. Moses is referencing God as a plural. Plural noun. The noun Elohim is plural, but is always used with a singular verb when it speaks of the true God. And this indicates a unity and diversity within the nature of God. This university and diversity is revealed in Scripture as the doctrine of the Trinity. So right off the bat, the one, two, three, a fourth word in the Bible reveals the Trinity and that God there, Jesus was there right at the beginning, the entire Trinity. And it's by Moses' intentional use of this term Elohim. He didn't say Yahweh. Or Adonai, it's Elohim. And Elohim was only used in this plural form. And it's really clear that Moses used this uh, to show this plural God right there in the beginning of when creation happened. Isn't that great? Pretty cool. Any questions up to this point?
1: Does it uh, happen very, uh, very often in the Old Testament using that plural for the Lord?
0: Yeah, it does. It does. Yeah, it, it, and it's it's all at the beginning. And in fact, uh, you know, the term Adonai doesn't even come out, or excuse me, Yahweh's name really doesn't even come out till Exodus. So at the beginning, the entire reference to God is in this plural form Elohim, which is again, why would Moses, ultimately the Holy Spirit, of course, but why would Moses use that? I mean, it's clearly at the beginning, right off the bat, that it's a Trinitarian reference. Good question. Any other questions on that? All right, so I talked about one person, what one purpose. Uh, for God revealing. Let's look at another one. So uh, another reason that God reveals His name to us in this way is that, so that we might call upon Him um, personally as children to a father. And we see this in Luke eleven two. Jesus said to them, When you pray, say, Father, hallowed be your name, the name. Right, And we learned in the Lord's Prayer in the small catechism that our Father who are in heaven, what does this mean? This is beautiful language. With these words, God tenderly invites us to believe that He is our true Father and that we are His true children. So that with all boldness and confidence, we may ask Him as dear children, ask their dear Father. So God gives us His name so that we, we know who He is. That He is our Father. That we can call upon Him for every, every, everything we need with boldness and confidence. Alright. Third reason. Uh, what purpose did God reveal His name to us? God gave His names so that we might proclaim His name among all people. We get this from Matthew 28, right? Go therefore and make disciples, which in the Greek is go therefore and really what we teach all nations. Teach all nations. Baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and the Holy Spirit. Now this, uh, this, this was actually the Great Commission, um, is mandated to the Twelve at the time, but this is what the Church does today, right? is that we make Jesus' name, God's name, known to all people. The I Am. Alright, so I talked about God in the Old Testament. We've got Yahweh now. We've got Adonai. We've got Elohim. Now I want to focus on Jesus. Let's look at Jesus' name. And I want to stress this. um, Jesus is Yahweh. Why is this? Well, remember that Yahweh in Hebrew means I am. Now, we see in Greek here, and that's supposed to be Greek. Sorry, the the slide didn't. uh, But what the Greek is, is this ego I me. Jesus is ego I me, which also means I am. The same as Yahweh. So... Jesus is Yahweh. Jesus is the I am, and we see this then in Scripture, especially in John. Now, there's other ones, but I'm focusing on John here. So, John four twenty six. Jesus is ego I me. Jesus said to her, "I who speak to you, am He. I am. I am. He is just a different tense. I am." Here's the big one. John 6, 48. I am the bread of life. And then in John 8, 58. Truly, truly, I say to you, for for Abraham was, I am. Well, it's the same language that God was using in the Old Testament. But now, it's in the New Testament in the Greek, but it's the same. Yahweh is the same. Is ego me I want to further expound on this, especially as John eight to fifty-eight. So how can we really get this concept of when Jesus says I am, he's referencing what God said in the old testament, I am Yahweh. So I want to look at this, John eight. So when we look at this in context, it says, so the Jews said to him, Jesus, You are not yet fifty years old, and have you seen Abraham? Jesus said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, before Abraham was, I am. So they picked up stones to throw it at him, but Jesus hid himself and went out of the temple. Now, you see here, the Jews correctly understood that Jesus was actually referencing his divinity. When he said, I am, because these Jews knew that when they were, when God said, I am, it was this God of Yahweh. So Jesus, when he says, I am, in this sense to the Jews, they knew automatically what he was saying. That Jesus was claiming that he is Yahweh. That he is divine. And we know this to be true because why did the Jews then turn and want to throw stones at him? It's because Jesus said this, I am. So Jesus himself acknowledges that he is Yahweh, that he is the I Am, the same I Am as the Old Testament. But now when I talk about Jesus is Yahweh here, but this is not to the exclusion of still the Father and the Holy Spirit. In the Old Testament, Yahweh may be understood as referring to God himself, that is, to the faithfulness, of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. At the same time, to be looking at Jesus is to be looking at the fullness of the eternal God. So at all times, we still have to look at this, these names, uh, Yahweh, Ego, I, Me, in the sense that this is an entire look at the Godhead, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Any questions up until this point? you have any? Yes, Perry.
1: Uh,
0: maybe I'm going back to the Old Testament. But in the Old Testament, the angel of the Lord is referenced and the Christophanies. I'm sorry, I couldn't hear. The uh, In the Old Testament, the uh, expression, the angel of the Lord is referenced. Right. Uh, can Good you point. comment on And the Christophanies. Uh, yeah, yeah. Where That's absolutely... Abs- that's Before good. the three men that uh, came to Abraham, you know, on the way, right. and then... Uh, That's exactly right. ...in Daniel. Could you... Call, I mean, sometimes the names were not used, or the angel of the Lord right. is used. How does that good fit point. In? Good point. And again, I don't have a, a, a real reason why the, uh, the authors or our Lord chose to bring us that way. You know, he does reference God, Adonai, Yahweh... Um, Ego I, Me, Jesus. And of course, Jesus have a lot of other names too that, that are specific. You know, we, we have, you know, mighty counselor, you know, all those names. But we do see other references of actually Jesus in the Old Testament. We've got Messianic prophecies that come out from the prophets directly speaking of him. But any of the appearances in the Old Testament, anytime, usually Moses in the Pentateuch writes the angel of the Lord, that angel of the Lord is God coming as Jesus, the pre-incarnate Jesus. So we do see this in the Old Testament as well, that any time we have reverence to the angel of the Lord, we can think that that was Jesus in his pre-incarnate form. In addition to the first sentence, when Jesus was in the beginning God, Elohim, Jesus was there too. So there's different ways uh, that we see Jesus manifest, is there present with His people in the Old Testament, either in reference to God, Elohim, or the angel of the Lord. So great point there, uh, Barry. Any other questions? Okay. So we're in this, this, this idea of Jesus also as Yahweh. Um, but then you say, but wait a minute. Jesus says... He is, I am, meaning I'm Yahweh. But we never really call Jesus Yahweh to him because he has a name. And his name name is, is Jesus. Well, this is very interesting. The, as you see, I have the, the Greek up here. It's Hesu. But the Greek for Jesus, because his name is based in the Greek, comes from the Hebrew terms Yehoshua, which means, get this, Yahweh saves. Now, isn't that fantastic? We know Jesus called himself Yahweh, okay? Jesus is the I Am. But then his actual name, not being uh, Yahweh, his name being Jesus, comes from the Hebrew, which means Yahweh saves so not only is jesus yahweh but in all purity but jesus's own name points to who he is and then what he did jesus means yahweh saves isn't that fantastic okay now i have to do something in this slide uh, my wife emily we're talking about this and uh, I'm going to reference back my home congregation in Albuquerque because this, uh, this is a mosaic that hangs in the narthex of our church. And I'm hoping that you guys can see it okay over there. But I think this will really helped me kind of flesh out when Jesus, the ego, ego I mean. And is you can, hopefully you can see Jesus is open the Bible there. And in the middle of the Bible, it says ego I mean. But I, I want to kind of take you some of uh, through these the things that especially John says about Jesus as actually depicted through this uh, piece of art. Now the next slide I show you, I've got to show you because my wife Emily says I had to show you. This is my son's, (laughs) my son's, Uh, Andrew and Ben. Of course, this picture was probably taken... Oh, five or six seven years ago they're much bigger and taller now with two of their friends uh, from church this is julia and katie julia just recently got married now uh, but we had a uh, uh, every christmas a tradition that we took pictures of the both the boys and to these two girls and we have them from their little tiny up until they got big but I just had to show you guys this picture so <laughs> in front of the I am Mosaic, which I'm going to use here to go through some some of the sayings in John and we can see them here depicted in this beautiful artwork. Um, so we see Ego I me, the I am. Um and this, this was written up on this mosaic. Um, I've added a couple things to it, but I think it's, it's really good. And uh, the artist who created this did an excellent job. So, the I Am, which is the name of this mosaic. The Son of God, having revealed Himself in the voice of the burning bush, is pictured in the mosaic holding in His hand a book revealing it to the world. The words on the pages of the book, Ego I Me, This message is clear. Jesus is the Son of God incarnate. Is Yahweh in the Hebrew. Ego I me in the Greek. I am in the English. This is the God of Abraham, Isaac and Jacob. He is the God who spoke by Moses delivering his people Israel. Who spoke by all the prophets bringing his gospel to Israel. Israel. He is the God who has worked throughout all history to bring forth the sacrifice on the cross, the blood to cleanse every sinner. So around the figure of Jesus, we see the great I Am statements revealed in John's Gospel. Each statement identifying Jesus as Yahweh, Himself in the flesh. Each statement extolling His salvation. I am the true vine. I am the bread of life. I am the door. I am the way, I am the true and the life, I am the light of the world. So you can see that all around the I am statements. Um, the tree. You see Jesus here in, in the tree mosaic. In the center of the I am mosaic is a tree, living and fruitful, planted by the stream of water. The tree yields its fruit and does not wither. The promise to the Krishna is that those declared righteous by the gospel flourish like a palm tree and grow like a strong cedar. Under the tree we find all life, represented by the imagery of the abundant sheaves of wheat and the fruit fields. Okay. Got the water here. Under the tree flows the stream of the water of life. Jesus is the water of life given freely for every sinner. Under the tree lives the church sustained by the water which is flowing from the stream of life. In the water swims many fish, the people of the church, those fish living in safety, having been caught in the great catch of fish, netted into the church by the gift of holy baptism. In the early church, Christians referred to as the little fish those having been given new birth in the water and word of holy baptism and who now live everyday and baptismal life. Okay. The hands. The hands um, represent the God and Father, creator of all. Remember we talked about that, why God gave His name. Shelly is creator of all. It is the Father who sent forth His Son, and all good gifts are received from the father's hand john 3:16 right okay jesus the christ mm. as one steps back from the mosaic taking a wider view the tree of life visually seems to transform into the image of the burning bush With the crimson cloaking of the robes of Jesus providing the image of the red flames of fire coming from the bush. And of course we read about that in Exodus 3, 1-16. Jesus, the Son of God, can now be viewed as the voice speaking to Moses from the burning bush in the wilderness. And what did the voice say? When Moses requested to know the name of the one speaking to him, the voice of God from the flaming bush declares his name. I am, in Hebrew, the language spoken by Moses and the Israelites, the name heard from the bush was Yahweh, which is simply the Hebrew verb, I am, which we discussed. Later, the words of Moses, i.e., the text of Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy, are translated into the Greek as "ego me, which is simply the Greek phrase, I am. It is in that Greek language that the text of the gospels of Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John were given to the Church in Holy Scripture. Isn't that neat? Any questions on that? I thought that did a good job though, the mosaic mosaic of kind of talking about what I'm talking about here the name. Okay. Okay. Does this mosaic exist anywhere else or just in the grace? I don't, I, I think it was, it was designed and originally made for Grace Lutheran Church in Albuquerque. Yeah. And it's huge. I mean, you saw with my boy standing there. It's, you know, what is it? 15, 15, 20 feet tall, maybe? It's, it's huge. It's beautiful. So if everybody's ever in Albuquerque, I'm going to pitch it now. <laughs> Gotta go to my home, my, my home congregation. <laughs> Not only to he hear the pastor preach, but to see the mosaic. So, so. Yeah, it does a great depiction, I think. This concept of the name. Um, okay. So now we talked about Yahweh, Adonai, Elohim, Egoi, me, Jesus, right? And Jesus' name, Jesus itself, means Yahweh saved. Well, I just, here it says Jesus the Christ. So now we've got an additional element. Got Jesus' name, Yahweh saved, but we call him now Jesus Christ. So then, naturally, that's got to be a name, a reference to Jesus, what does this mean? Jesus Christ. Christ is a Greek word meaning anointed one, which originated from the Hebrew word Messiah. So in Jesus' name, we have Jesus, which means Yahweh saves, and then Christ, which means Messiah. So his name reveals to us that he is Yahweh and it saves, and he is the Messiah, Jesus Christ. Mm-hmm. Okay. Any questions up to this point? No. So, in the name, though, it is important. When I was kind of researching all this stuff, where, you know, our our catec- catechism talks about it, and, and it is really in the second commandment. And you know, we, we we were taught, and we still look at this today, and you shall not misuse the name of the Lord your God. Now, there's a lot to this, a lot to unpack. As with the, the commandments, Ten Commandments, there's always a positive, positive side to it and a negative. We kind of know the negative side to this. We know that at times you shouldn't use the name of the Lord your God in vain we know that but you know the the other thing is is when we really look in the catechism what is the significance of this and it kind of ties in exactly what we're we're talking about when we reference the name and luther in the small catechism says the name here that when we trust god with our hearts we use our lips to call upon him as our creator and redeemer And that's what Luther thought was really the significance um, of the name here in the second commandment. So it's this concept of, again, the name is where God is on our hearts. He's been placed upon us. And now we can use our own lips to call upon him in every uh, trouble and need because he is our uh, creator and redeemer in the name. Now, so we have it in the second commandment, and as I talked about at the beginning, where else do we see it uh, a lot in, in our, in, in services? And actually, when we baptize our children, we see this here, the name. This is, um, in the name of the Father, the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. So, now, looking at the significance of the name, what it is, the Yahweh of the Old Testament, the I Am, the, the, um, the name of Adonai, whose Lord, King, Master, the name of Jesus, which means Yahweh saves, Christ, which means the Anointed One, the Messiah, all this is spoken over, spoken over us when we are baptized and placed upon us. And so you can see the significance of this, the name being placed upon us in our baptism. It's this name of Yahweh. The I Am now is on you. You are. You are the I Am. You are um, a part of Jesus' name. You are a part of Jesus' saving. It's how He redeemed you. You are a part of the entire... Name of God and that now you are a true child of God. You are adopted as sons and daughter, And now you too bear this name. You bear this name of Yahweh, of Ego Me. You bear the name of I Am, showing that you are a redeemed child of God through the name that was placed upon you in your baptism. Any questions on that? All right. Also at the beginning, we say it at the beginning of the divine service every Sunday. Notice every time. in the first thing out of the pastor's mouth, in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Well, I kind of did some research on that. And now there is a new book out that CPH has published. It's kind of an explanation on the liturgy. It just came out atop of the press. I don't have it yet. But I did find some of the pre-stuff that's online on it, and I would like to read uh, through it a bit to show you what this means, this invocation, with uh, when we say that at the beginning of the Divine Service, what it means. And it really wraps up kind of everything I just talked about. And uh, next time we open the Divine Service, when you hear in the name, we really get the richness of why we do say this. So. Of course, at the beginning of the liturgy, in the invocation, we say, "In the name of the Father and of the Son and the Holy Spirit," and cross ourselves. Right? This is very. Um, this is great here. What is written about this by CPH? Uh, in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. How many times have we heard those words, and yet? they testify with renewed freshness to our identity as children of God who've been baptized into the death and resurrection of Jesus. Now, wouldn't it be something if God's faithful would remember that every time they heard the words of the invoca- invocation, perhaps tracing the sign of the cross, as a visible reminder, as a visible reminder of, of remember of this, that we are... Renewed freshness to our identity as children of God who've been baptized in the death and resurrection of Jesus. Saint Paul beautifully captures the eternal significance of our baptism into Christ when he writes to the Galatians that as many of you as were baptized into Christ have put on Christ. And when we say that baptized and put on Christ, as we put on His name. We talked about. We put on the name of Christ. We put on Christ. We are clothed with His righteousness. Unlike the man in the parable of the wedding feast who had no wedding garment, when we stand before our judge on the last day, we will be clothed and covered, robed in the purity of Christ. Okay. So let's think about that. The last day will be robed. But we don't, we, when we think about the last day, we don't have to fret thinking, you know, on the day that Jesus returns, Jesus will judge. But the scripture, the scripture is clear in Mark. Before the actual judgment, Jesus is going to separate His sheep, which is you, which is because of your baptism. And you see, on the last day, you won't even be judged because you've already been judged. You were judged when you had Jesus' name placed upon you at baptism. Jesus already judged those who were saved when he died for the sins of the world on the cross and then gave that to you in your baptism where his name was placed on you. So therefore, we don't need to fret about this last day of judgment because we've already been judged. We've already had His name placed upon us. We've already been clothed with His righteousness. So the comfort that we have now, we don't have to fear about the end times and the judgment because at that day, we'll already be robed with Christ's righteousness, already been judged. And those that are going to be judged are those that have not been baptized, that have not have been brought into the faith as this, as this gift. So, in the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, already now, in this heaven on earth, we call worship, we stand with boldness before the triune God, who has claimed us and named us. So that's where that boldness comes in from. We can say at the beginning of the service in the name of the Father and of the Son and the Holy Spirit because we've already been clothed which is with His name, with His righteousness. We're already here as though we are on heaven, already been judged, already been decreed that we are children of God and we will live in eternity forever with Jesus because of this So on that, that's why I want to talk about the name and the importance of it. The name of God of the Old Testament, Yahweh, the I Am, that tells us who He is, that He redeemed us, that He was the Creator, that Jesus was there at creation because Jesus, we saw God as Elohim, as Moses wrote, that Jesus was there at the beginning, and that Jesus Himself, His name, is that Yahweh saves and that He is the Messiah. So we have the Trinity in the name and every time we say the name we're talking about the triune God who has put his name upon us in baptism and as a result we have no fear at the end of the day we'll be standing with Christ robed in his righteousness because of the name that was placed upon us in baptism. So, on that, I'm a little early but um, any questions? Yes? One other place that we often are reminded of that name is when we say Alleluia, which is literally "Praise be to Yahweh." Absolutely, that's true. Which we say all the time, and I need—I glad you brought that up. That's an excellent point because we repeat that all the time in our liturgy, which is again a recognitions of this name and the importance of the name and how it's been placed upon us. So, good point. I'm going to add that to my notes, and if I ever give this presentation <laughs> again, I promise I'll include that. So. Excellent point, that's exactly right. Yes. Mm-hmm. Let, it, let him get the mic for you here, so would
1: you comment on
0: yeah yeah, that is difficult you know that is a very uh main life probably the main that baptism um, doesn't you know doesn't uh, doesn't guarantee salvation or make you a child of God I mean that's the main line Christian you know in in all it, being loving to the person I mean you go to straight straight to straight to scripture and I can't is it per first Peter it says it clearly says baptism now saves you I mean the the scripture is very clear on it so i mean you just uh, can talk to them about that that it's it's given to us in scripture that baptism saves and as a result we take god for his word we take the scripture for for its word and that we baptize and that does save and we don't make any distinction between um little children or adults we don't the bible doesn't tell us you need to wait and so on Someone has the mental capabilities to be able to make this decision or, you know, to do this type of stuff before they can be righteous enough to get baptized. It's clearly baptism is for everyone. There's no strings attached, no requirements for age. Baptism now saves you. So as a result, since the Bible tells us that we're going to baptize the babies and we fully believe and have confidence in our Lord's word that that baptism does save us. And, you know, then you can discuss more about the name. You know, even most denominations who do not believe in really this, uh, that that baptism truly saves or has questions with, you know, when you can baptize. In their liturgy, they baptize in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, which when you look at the name, the name is a gift that's given by God to us from His name and the Old Testament and the New Testament. So it's all gift language and being His name being placed upon us as a gift. Why would we ever deny anybody the gifts that our Lord freely gives us? So, I know it's very tough and uh, I I could probably argue to them I'm blue in the face with a lot of these people. But we just have to pray that our Lord will let them hear the trueness of the Scripture and the clarity of the Scripture where where it says, Baptism now saves you. So, good point. Very good point. But it is a touchy subject. I'm not going to sugarcoat it because a lot of people don't the scripture is clear and because of the scriptures is clear on that our confessions are clear because our confessions of course are uh, are a clear uh, uh, discussion on the, the scripture that baptism does save us so it's a wonderful gift and when we turn it into not a gift it's sad because that's not what our lord intended our lord intended baptism to be a gift I think when we talk this gift language, hopefully people will realize that, that it is a gift. I thought I saw another hand. Chris, yeah? What do you think of this uh, when it says uh, those who believe in His name in reference to Jesus? Do you think that means those who believe as He believed? So in other words, in His name, meaning like as him, does that make sense? That yeah, I, I you know I have to look that further, believed. but you know my initial take on it is at, is in his in his name it's the name of Yahweh. It's just who he is. We we are. You believe in Jesus? You believe that Jesus is true, both true God and true man. Jesus is the Yahweh of the Old Testament. Jesus is the ego, I me, in the New Testament, the I am. Jesus is, was with us from the beginning. So I think it is very important with that passage that when we do believe in his name, what we're confessing in that is that we're believing that Jesus um, saves, that he is the Yahweh of the Old Testament that he saves. So I think that's a good wrap-up on the whole thing. And that's what we believe, right? We confess. We believe in the Apostles' Creed We we confess that, that Jesus is true God, same time true man. Jesus is Yahweh. So I think that's the importance of it. We, In order to get this right about who this Jesus is, we have to believe that Jesus is both God and man. And the other part of this, we believe that Jesus died on the cross for the forgiveness of the whole world, and that that's brought personally to us in His means of grace through the Word, through the waters of holy baptism, and through His body and blood, and the Lord's supper, where it's then this death on the cross for the whole world is brought directly for you, for you, to you in the in the in the word and the sacraments. It's beautiful, isn't it? Mm-hmm.
1: Okay. Um, first, first of all, I want to say, I think
0: teaching the Greek and the Thing. I'm, I'm sorry. Teaching
1: could, the Greek and the Hebrew is a great okay, thing. So this is very enlightening.
0: I, I, <laughs> okay. I violated the seminary's rules, but I figured you guys <laughs> would have compassion on me. <laughs>
1: um, now, when you're dealing with an adult who was you, what, persuaded against baptism, what you you say, to them, they have to recognize, right, that Christ who Christ is when they are baptized in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Mm -hmm. So from their point of view, I can see as an adult, I say, well, I have to... Isn't that what's underlying this? Where they would say, well... Well... Well, having grown up in the Lutheran church, a child should be baptized. I take God at his word. Mm -hmm. But now, with the adult mind... Can you address that? You know, Uh,
0: yeah, I can. You know, it's just this concept of us always trying to rationalize what God wants, and you know, this idea again. I think it's a it's a whole thought, a whole uh, theology or doctrine baked based on what we what we do, and that's how it comes in uh, to our belief that I shouldn't be baptized until what I do. What then is when I can be accountable and decide that i'm going to be baptized but then again that's against all the theology that we hear about this nothing we do and in fact we're told that you are dead and you're tr- you're dead in your sin and your trespasses so a dead man cannot decide to become a follower of jesus or to become to be baptized because they're dead okay so this that's that's in terms of this decision theology or deciding when I should be baptized or deciding this and that, we can't decide. We're dead in our trespasses. That's why we see this as all this is a gift, that it's gifted to us by nothing that we do. It's gifted to the baby when they're little. If the baby didn't get, uh, if for some reason someone doesn't get baptized as a child, gets it as an adult, we still believe it's gift language that the adult comes not out of their own reason or strength, and we confess this in the third article of the Apostles' Creed. Um, I believe it is the Holy Spirit who calls, gathers, and enlightens His church. So even in those sense, it's the Holy Spirit that's bringing us, and in it's gift. The Holy Spirit calls, gathers, and enlightens His church. So everything then in baptism is a result of a gift from God the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. So, But I do understand people have a hard time thinking about that because that's this whole concept of me being able to rationalize for myself. But we believe what the Bible teaches, that we're dead and a dead man or a dead woman cannot decide what to do. So, But when an adult is baptized in the Lutheran Church, uh, it's not because they've made this decision. It's as we confess in the third article of the Apostles' Creed, the Holy Spirit is called, gathered, and enlightened as church. It's not upon us. Which is comforting, isn't it? There's nothing we do. But isn't that the same with um, circumcision? That with a gift, the parents brought the children to the rabbi. They didn't have to say. Yeah. Right. That's a, oh that that's a great point. Yeah. I mean that, that's the way to look at it. Because sacri- uh that uh, circumcision was a, a precursor obviously to baptism, we believe that. And the child when they were circumcised, what decision did the child have in that? That's a great point, yeah. That's absolutely a great point. Perfect, great point. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah.
1: So uh regarding baptism, I just have a quick question. Um there are, for example, many Hispanic countries where everyone is baptized as an infant and then you have these individuals grow up and they know nothing about um, biblical doctrine or um, what the gospel means. Just as many people here might be nominally Christian and then not even know the basics of the gospel. So what do we make of those situations?
0: Yeah, I mean, um, of course, uh, Luther writes on this, you know, baptism, you know, we, we baptism is, is really just the beginning, right? And that's when... At, uh, th- this starts this whole sanctified life because of our baptism. I and mean, you know, Luther writes that every day that uh, our baptism, it, it, the old man is drowned every day and we pray for this, right? So I think it is important that in the baptism then, it's just not, that's, we're done, over. I mean, that's just the beginning for our children and for those. And then that's why we bring them and continue to bring them in the church and properly catechize the kids and encourage them to stay in so but at the same time we don't know the answer to the question um god tells us that baptism now saves you right and if you're baptized as a baby um and maybe don't go back to church um we just have to rest in the promises in the comfort of the promise he's given us that baptism now saves us and assume you know that 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 Those people are children of God and they're going to heaven. So other than what God tells us, I don't know what to think about that. But I do think it's wrong to think, oh, baptism is the pinnacle. Once you're baptized, you don't have to do anything else. No, really, that's the beginning. And then in our daily life, uh, the new man, the new creation, continues to study God's Word and learn and and confess um, about Christ as Savior and the Gospel. Okay, and I'm getting the sign here. We have one more question. Okay, one more question. (laughs) I'm getting the the sign that... uh,
1: I'm sorry, I have to say this. That's okay. There's a movie by Harrison Ford, Air Force One. I saw it the other day. I said, i got to watch this movie for the one scene, which I absolutely adore, and I think it applies. I so appreciate what you said, that it's God's working in us, because this makes it work in my mind. There you go. Unfortunately, when they replayed Air Force One, they took out, to me, the most significant scene in the whole movie. But if you see the whole movie, at the end, have you ever seen Air Force One?
0: No, but I'm going to now. <laughs> <laughs> okay.
1: You must see the whole thing. Okay. At the end, they are being rescued. Their plane is going down. The Air Force One is going down. But there are planes flying above to rescue them. And the president puts his little girl in a, what would a halter that has come down from the plane above. He straps her in every which way into this halter. And before he lets her go, he says, hang on. And I'm saying, hang on. She can't get out of that thing, you know? And I'm thinking when, we understand that it's not ourselves saving ourselves in our rational minds. It's God's grace. We are strapped in. And we may think, you know, like, rationally, I've got to hold on. But if you had only your own strength to hold on and you're pulled out of the plane, you're not going to make it.
0: I think that's a great So we
1: have to have that grace to strap us in because in the end, it is God who saves us, Absolutely. not we ourselves.
0: Right. I love that. It's a great way to wrap up. So we do not hold on. God holds on to us in our baptism and gives this, continues to give his gifts to us in his word and his sacrament. So thank you. Great point there. All right. Thank you all very much. The Lord be with you.